Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which we play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, we will be discussing Labyrinth, the computer game. Can you name three people who appear in both the movie Labyrinth and the original Star Wars trivia? We will be giving the answer to that trivia question later on in this episode. But before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy Headlines. Welcome back to Sprite Castle, everyone. I hope you have had a good 2016 so far. My family and I had a great holiday season. We went to uh, we went on a cruise. We left uh, from L.A. We took a cruise to Hawaii, and we spent a little over two weeks on the cruise. It was uh, the longest cruise we've ever been on, uh, and it was absolutely fantastic. Everybody got their batteries recharged. And we had a really good time, so um, thanks everybody for tuning back in to a new episode of Sprite Castle. I appreciate it. I did take my laptop. I had this dumb idea. I didn't know. I thought, well, I'm going to take my laptop and I may get bored and want to play some Commodore 64 games, uh, took a joystick, things like that. But in reality, there was so much to do on the cruise that I just didn't uh, have any downtime like that. When I did have downtime, basically I took naps or ate at a buffet or both. Sometimes I ate at the buffet and then took a nap <laughs> and then headed back out. Uh, but we did get to see the new Star Wars movie uh, the day it premiered in Los Angeles at El Capitan Theater. Uh, I was really excited about that after the last episode uh, where I played Return of the Jedi. Actually, I was excited about it more uh, than just because of that episode. <laughs> I was excited because uh, we've been waiting for a new Star Wars movie for, oh, what's it been? 10, 11, 12, 13, whatever years. Uh, so, had a good time. Got Star Wars. I kind of have Star Wars out of my system right now. If you want to hear uh, my buddy and I, Sean, talk about Star Wars, you can go to uh, Throwback Reviews. And I don't think it's out yet, but the the uh, latest episode of Throwback Reviews will be uh, my thoughts about the latest Star Wars movie, Sean's thoughts about the latest Star Wars movie. So, But I kind of have Star Wars flushed out of my system now, and I have the cruise out of my system, and I'm ready to start moving forward with 2016. Also, today is Martin Luther King Day. I mentioned this on You Don't Know Flack. I will mention it here. Um, if you're listening to this episode... And, uh, all I would ask is that you just take a few, uh, minutes today. Think about, um, uh, Martin Luther King, go watch, uh, his, I have a dream speech, go read his Wikipedia entry, go do a little bit of research. Um, I'm, I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect, but I think we're all doing a better job than uh, the generation before us did. And I think that we are all of us. I know I do work hard to, uh, make sure that my kids are even more educated about things, uh, equality. And, um, you know, we have all these things about, uh, refugees going on right now. We have all these things in the world, um, uh, people not being treated equal. And so I would just ask that uh, you spend a few minutes today. And, uh, if you're off work, like I am, take a few minutes and, and do some reading and, uh, uh, just really think about what the holiday is about and what we can do to make the world a little bit better place. That is my soapbox. I'll get off that. 
Now we will get on to news, and the first news is while I was on the cruise, I didn't have any internet access. Uh, internet access was 75 cents a minute, so we opted not to pay for uh, internet access. So when I got home, I was scrolling back through all my important news sites, one of which is TMZ. <laughs> and I saw a post that said a memorial plan for Lemmy. And I was like, well, thank goodness we're going to give this guy a memorial, you know, before he dies. And then I read the article and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> Lemmy died. And that just started uh, my 2016 with Lemmy passing away, uh, all these other celebrities that have passed away. Uh, including David Bowie. Now, I will not pretend like I was the world's biggest David Bowie fan. I would not even call myself a David Bowie fan, per se. But, uh, I mean, I think most of the things I'm familiar, most of his work that I'm familiar with, there are uh, radio songs, um, you know, his pop music, his collaborations with other performers. But, uh, so I would say I'm a David Bowie fan. I'm, I appreciate his work, you know, like, like I said, I, I can't really call myself a fan. I'm just not that much into his work. But when I read that uh, and started digging through some of his old material, it, it's just uh, amazing how prolific the guy was and, and how many different genres he crossed over. And so uh, David Bowie's passing, uh, I, I think I first became aware of David Bowie. Obviously, there was a... Uh, uh, his early MTV hits, uh, Let's Dance and Dancing in the Streets. But when I really first became to appreciate David Bowie was his appearance in the movie Labyrinth as the Goblin King. And so that is definitely what inspired me to shuffle things around and do Labyrinth uh, for this episode of Sprite Castle. I was gone for so long without internet access and then uh, had you know some time off before and some time off since. So I got way behind on my Commodore 64 news, and as I scrolled through and saw these best of 2015 games that were released, there's just too many to mention all in one show. But I plucked a few headlines out that I wanted to mention. Uh, I saw that a new version of Virtual C64 has been released. That is a Commodore 64 emulator for the Macintosh operating system. So if you are a Mac user, I would love to know because I don't want to promote, uh, I don't, I just don't know what emulators are popular. I know for windows, um, most people use WinVice. That's what I use. Uh, but I don't really know about Linux or Mac users, what you guys use for Commodore emulation. So if you want to try out virtual C64 version 1.4.1 has been released, uh, as always links to all these news articles will appear in the show notes, you can just go to SpriteCastle.com and find the links to all these stories. But if you're a Mac user, I'd love to get your feedback on if this is a good Commodore 64 emulator, because I'd like to have a link to an emulator on the website. So if you want to play the games that I review, you could just go download an emulator. Or if there's a better one out there, let me know. I'd prefer something that's free just because, uh, you know, it's a low cost of entry for people to get into. But yeah, let, give me some feedback on that. Also, I try to stick to... Commodore 64 and occasionally Commodore 128 news related articles, just because, uh, I know that the, uh, uh, Amigos podcast is doing such a good job with their coverage of Amiga computers. And there are other sources for, uh, the other computers that are out there. But, uh, I did see that Yape was released and Yape, um, or a, a new version, I should say 1.0.8. And that is a Commodore plus four emulator. So there is, 
some Plus 4 software that uh, there are some games or some utilities that never made it over to the C64 or 128 platform. So if you want to go check out uh, what the Plus 4 emulator looks like, that there is a new version of Yeep. The uh, There's a new programming contest out. I saw this for 2016. It is called the 10 Liners Contest, and it is a contest for who can write the best program in only 10 lines of code, and it has to be a line-based programming language, something like BASIC. And there's different categories depending on how many characters per line uh, you actually use. But the deadline for that is Monday, March 28th. Uh, so if you have interest in that, I'd love to see what people program in 10 lines. And I can't wait until the end of March where we get to actually see the product of that contest. And speaking of contests, I did read that the uh, Commodore 64 16K cartridge game development competition, the deadline has been extended to March 31st. So uh, if you were working on a, a game for that competition, uh, or if you're like me, you're just sitting around waiting to see what games have been submitted and uh, to have the ability to download and play those, we're going to have to wait till the end of March uh, to see that. I found a news article about how to modify your Raspberry Pi to get your Commodore 64 emulator to start in BASIC. I assume that with the Pi, like all the other emulators, it's a front end where you can just launch uh, D64 uh, disk images or, or um, maybe program files. So if you're wanting to do some Commodore 64 BASIC programming, and there's really nothing that takes you back. If you had a Commodore as a kid, there's nothing that takes you back more than just turning that on, seeing the, the blue on blue colors and that ready prompt, uh, and then typing in, you know, whatever, uh, 10 print, whatever, 20, go to 10 <laughs> type of program that we all type in when we first turn on a computer like that. Uh, so if you are interested in, uh, get, doing some basic programming on a Commodore emulator on a Raspberry Pi, uh, then that is a, a great article to read up on. Winners were announced in the 2015 Sideways S-E-U-C-K. I don't know how to pronounce that. I know what it stands for. It is the Sideway or the uh, Shoot 'em Up Construction Kit. Uh, and the original Shoot 'em Up Construction Kit was for vertical type shooters, but now there's a uh, there was it was also modified for horizontal type games. There were only three entries. You could download all three and play those. And you know, like I always say, uh, I mean, the quality of these things are so much better. The quality of a lot of the homebrew games that come out now, most of the homebrew games that come out now are so much better than a lot of the games that people paid for back in the 80s. And they're all free. So, uh, yeah, the um, uh, shoot 'em up construction set, there were three entries, which I, I'd wish there had been more, but maybe it's just a bad time of year or something. But you can go download those and play those. I have downloaded all three of those. I haven't played them yet. I'm going to play them tonight. Uh, and speaking of uh, old games, there's a great news article about a game called the Little Knight Ar uh, Little Knight Arthur. I want to say author, but it's Arthur. Uh, it is a game that was released. The headline says released 30 years late. Uh, this was a game that was in development in the 1980s, and the author of the game submitted it to all the major publishing companies: Epics, Electronic Arts, so on and so forth. Uh, he had seven of the game's eight levels finished. 
And the game was turned down by all the major publishers, and I guess he lost interest and, and quit working on it. But he has found the source code. He went in, he finished the game, and he has released it now, 30 years later, uh, for free for people to download. And I looked at the screenshots and, and watched some video, and it looks like a fun little game. You know, it's definitely a platform-type game that would have fit in uh, with the likes of Jumpman and, and um, Dr. Creep, those types of games. So I'm looking forward to playing that. So uh, you could go check out Little Knight Arthur. There's a link to that. Uh, and finally, there is, uh, I know this has been being worked on for a while, but there is a uh, Frogger arcade release that is being worked on. This looks great. I've, I've seen video of this. You can download a preview of it if you want to go check that out. But it is a um, similar to the uh, Donkey Kong junior release that came out and, and some of the other like commando you know we had the original commando for the Commodore 64 but then they have the uh, arcade version that's much closer to the arcade release and this is closer to the arcade release of frogger so that is in development and being worked on and like i said links to all these things are in the show notes all you have to do is go to spritecastle.com and find episode 23 and you'll find links to all these things and now let's talk about this episode's King of the Castle. This episode's King of the Castle is Dave Modalak. Dave was the first person to correctly identify the 8-bit song. At the end of the last episode, that song was A Forest by The Cure. That was a reference to the Forest Moon of Endor, which part of uh, Return of the Jedi, the game took place on, and the movie, turns out. Uh, that song is not, I don't think it's one of their more well-known songs, but it is on a lot of their albums. It's on 17 Seconds. It's on Staring at the Sea, the singles, which is the uh, album where I first heard it. A remix of that it appears on 1990s Mixed Up, and it appears in... Most of their live concerts and, and uh, live concert recordings. So congratulations to Dave for correctly identifying this uh, song. I got more incorrect guesses on than I think I have on any other uh, King of the Castle song. So I thought that was very interesting. A lot of people guessed uh, incorrectly uh, or mis misidentified uh, that song in question. So. And I just looked at my notes. I have a spreadsheet where I track all the things for this podcast. And this is the second Cure song <laughs> that I've used. Uh, we also used Friday I'm in Love for Friday the 13th. So uh, I'll try not to turn this into a uh, Commodore slash Cure podcast. Although that actually sounds great. <laughs> I would listen to that. Uh, I just joked on, on Twitter. I wasn't really joking, but semi-joking. Uh, on the cruise ship, we had a 24-7 channel that showed love boat episodes and i'm so hooked on love boat right now and i i um, bought the first two seasons on dvd from amazon but you can't get the other seasons, so i downloaded all the other seasons there are 250 episodes of the love boat and i'm hooked on it man i watch like an episode every night and i was saying on twitter you know somebody please do a, a love boat podcast so i can listen to it and if nobody else would do it you know maybe we'll do it uh, and I really don't have the time in my life to do a Love Boat podcast, but um, boy, if you could combine Commodore and the Love Boat and the Cure, <laughs> that's a winning combination right there. 
So anyway, congratulations again uh, to Dave. If you would like to be the next episode's King of the Castle, all you need to do is correctly identify the secret 8-bit song played during the show's closing credits. The song will not be from the game discussed in the episode, but will relate to the episode's theme in some way. For example, A Forest and the Forest Moon of Endor. If you have identified the secret song, the first person to send the song to me and its relationship to the podcast theme, either through Facebook, Twitter, email, or the show's voice mailbox, will be crowned the next king of the castle. And all of those contacts are listed in the show's closing credits. Those are this week's headlines brought to you by my local paper boy who just threw a newspaper through our front window. Sorry, it's Shrek. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. So if you've played the game Labyrinth, in the beginning part of the game, uh, there's a part that deals with buying popcorn at a movie theater. So I thought, oh, I should do popcorn. But I just ate popcorn for the last episode, for episode 22, Return of the Jedi. So I couldn't really do popcorn. But also, if you've seen the movie and play the game, there's an important thing that hinges on a peach. Jareth, the Goblin King, gives a uh, magical poisoned peach to Hoggle, who eventually gives it to Sarah in an attempt to have her eat it, fall asleep, and lose interest in uh, making her way to uh, the Goblin Castle. So I thought, man, I got to do something with peaches. But I didn't want to just eat a peach. <laughs> that seems dumb. Plus, it seems healthy. Uh, and I don't want to do that. Uh, so then I thought, you know, what else could I do? Like I could have a peach daiquiri. I could have peach something, you know, so I'm going through and my memory shot back to in high school when I worked at Grandy's and uh, Grandy's is a Southern fast food place that sells fried chicken and, and, uh, chicken fried steak and ribs and things like that. And we also had uh, cinnamon rolls and rolls for dessert. And we had cobbler and we had peach cobbler and cherry cobbler and apple cobbler and the cobbler was great. And so, uh, I started looking and I don't think that the grandies near me, most of them have closed, but the one that's still near me doesn't offer that cobbler anymore. And so that's what I started thinking, like, where can I get some peach cobbler? And I know that like, I've seen it at, uh, some Chinese buffets, but that kind of seems weird. And it's kind of a gamble to go to a Chinese place and, and see if they have peach cobbler. And so I've been going on and on. And then uh, I mentioned it to my wife yesterday and she said, you know, you could just pick up a, a frozen peach cobbler. And I said, really? <laughs> I, I don't do that much shopping. Uh, so she picked one up last night and threw it in the oven. And uh, last night after dinner, we all had a little bit of peach cobbler, put some vanilla ice cream on top. It was wonderful as I finished up the show notes for this episode. So uh, there's my, my tribute to Labyrinth. I had a little bit of peach cobbler and it was really good, as is this week's game, which happens to be Labyrinth. The computer game. It was written for the Commodore 64 in 1986 by Lucasfilm Games, which later became LucasArts. It was published by Activision. It is a game for one player that uses both keyboard and joystick controls. Uh, I have had other Activision games on the show, but this is the first Lucasfilm Games. Uh, I'm just, I'll just call it Lucasfilm Games or LucasArts. I will probably use those interchangeably throughout the episode. 
According to Moby Games, they released 13 titles for the Commodore 64, including such games as Ball Blazer, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, Karanis Rift, Rescue on Fractalus, Maniac Mansion, and Zack McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders. Now, uh, up until this point, all of their games were original titles. This was the first uh, Lucasfilms game that was based on a property. Programmers on this game, in the uh, uh, games credits, it says uh, Labyrinth, the computer game, was created by the Lucasfilm Games Division, Activision Incorporated, with the cooperation of Henson Associates Incorporated, with design contributions by Douglas Adams, yes, that Douglas Adams, and Christopher Cerf, with special thanks to George Lucas and Jim Henson. We're going to talk a little bit about some of those people the game's designer was David Fox, and again, co-credited on that is Douglas Adams. David Fox was the programmer of the game, the lead programmer. He worked on several Activision titles, uh, I'm sorry, uh, LucasArts titles, including Rescue on Fractalus. He worked on Labyrinth, of course. Maniac Mansion, Zach McCracken, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He worked on Mirage, which was LucasArts' first very, very uh, testing the waters, I suppose, with uh, a uh, MMO type of game. Uh, and then he's also credited for working on Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Uh, there were artists that worked on this game. Gary Winnick and Ken Macklin were listed. A composer of the music is Russell Lieblick, I believe is how you say that. Uh, he did lots of uh, both LucasArts and Activision music for different games. He did the music for Ballblazer, Master of the Lamps, which we uh, had recently uh, as a Sprite Castle, uh, King of the Castle song. <clears throat> we have... Um, he, he kind of went back and forth on music and sound effects. He did uh, sound effects for the version of Little Computer People for the Amiga, uh, music in Task Times and Tone Town, music in Portal. He did sound effects for The Last Ninja. He uh, was a composer on GB Air Rally. He did the music, uh, uncredited, it says, for SimCity. He was also, uh, he has programming credits he is credited for programming and design on Hacker 2. He did the original concept for Master of the Lamps. He was a programmer on Howard the Duck. Uh, so the guy really uh, was a jack-of-all-trades that worked on uh, these types of games. And he's responsible for the lovely uh, translation of some of the original songs that appeared in the movie Labyrinth that appear in this game as well. So the pop culture context of this game, obviously, is the 1986 film Labyrinth, which starred David Bowie as Jareth the Goblin King, Jennifer Connelly as Sarah, the 16-year-old girl who has to match wits uh, with Jareth in the Labyrinth. It was directed by Jim Henson. There are... Uh, there were lots of opportunities in this movie for little people to star as uh, goblins. Three of those were 
Kenny Baker, who you may know uh, was also R2-D2 in the original Star Wars trilogy. Warwick Davis, who portrayed Wicket the Ewok in Return of the Jedi. And Jack Purvis, who was uh, kind of Lucas's go-to guy. Uh, Jack Purvis portrayed the Chief Jawa in Star Wars. He was uh, the Chief Ugnaught in Empire Strikes Back. He was Tebow, the Ewok in Return of the Jedi. Uh, so there are three people that starred in the movie Labyrinth, uh, although you probably didn't recognize them because they were wearing giant goblin helmets. Um, there are lots of other uh, uh, little people that appeared in Labyrinth as goblins, uh, guys like Richard Jones and Peter Mandel. And there are lots of them that were also Ewoks. You know, Ewoks, uh, that Return of the Jedi was infamous for hiring uh, lots and lots of little people to portray Ewoks. So pretty much if you were a little person in Hollywood, you got that call. Same thing with the uh, <laughs> Wizard of Oz at the time. So, uh, But those are uh, just three examples. Labyrinth was, as I mentioned, the first Lucasfilm game that was based on a film uh, or some other property. It was directly commissioned by George Lucas. And there was a fact listed on Wikipedia that said Labyrinth the Game received positive reviews and in the United States was a bigger commercial success than the film upon which it was based. That seems amazing to me. And I went to IMDb and looked up Labyrinth. It says that the budget for Labyrinth was $25 million, and in the box office, it only made half that, $12.5 million, which would be considered a huge flop. Um, but... Uh, you know, the game was, was pretty well received, and I was just amazed by that fact. I thought Labyrinth was much more successful than that. Uh, and this is coming from a 43-year-old man who can still sing every song in Labyrinth. <laughs> so maybe uh, my perception is, is uh, slightly askew on that. Let's talk about the box and manual. The front cover of the box has a beautiful drawing of the labyrinth. And your view is you can see the maze. And in the background, you can see the Goblin King's castle. There is the owl flying over the labyrinth, which appears in the movie. And uh, I believe is Jareth in disguise. The top has the logo that says labyrinth. Uh, and then there's... Uh, Smaller font above that that says based on the Jim Henson film and below that that says the computer game. So it is Labyrinth, the computer game. Sometimes it is referred to that uh, or in that manner online when you see this because there are so many games. You know, a Labyrinth is a maze. A Labyrinth is a really old term and there are lots and lots and lots of maze games out there simply called Labyrinth. So if, if you're searching Google for this game, you might type in Labyrinth, the computer game, and you might just get hits uh, relating to this particular uh, game. Uh, the bottom, you have little logos that uh, one for Lucasfilm Games, one for Activision Entertainment Software. The back of the box has, uh, first of all, it has a, a long speech that uh, apparently uh, is from Jareth. It's a quote. It says, we've been watching you. We know all about you. We even know your weaknesses, weaknesses that have made you our thrall. To regain your freedom, you must find the castle at the heart of the labyrinth. If you are unable to break the spell within 13 hours, you'll be lost forever, which, for your information, is a very long time. And there's a second paragraph that says, A key, popcorn, a movie ticket. Everyday objects have a way of taking on a whole new meaning once you enter the labyrinth. Be prepared for anything. A wall of hands, talking door knockers, or a friend in need. There will be goblins at every turn. 
Only one thing's for certain. We cannot be held responsible if you get lost. Um, That first paragraph, most of that appears in the game. When Jareth first talks to you, uh, it cuts a little bit short. And the jokes uh, are the joke at the end where he says uh, forever, which for your information is long time, is cut out of the game dialogue. So it seems like something that was added uh, just to make the uh, text on the back maybe a little bit more interesting. There's some pictures that appear on the back of the box. There's a goblin, uh, a labyrinth movie ticket, some pieces of popcorn, a key, uh, two game screenshots, and then a picture of a movie theater, which is showing the movie Labyrinth. And this is uh, going to come into play whenever we start playing the game. Uh, the manual, I found a scan of the manual online, and that was difficult to find. Um, it, I, I, most of the websites that I checked that have game manuals online did not have this. Instead, what they have is walkthroughs. Some of the walkthroughs are just for the beginning part of the game, and some are for the entire game. We will discuss the difference of that. Um, The manual's uh, about 20 pages long if you include the front and back covers. Uh, It starts off with a a one-and-a-half-page message from Jareth that basically sets up the game. Again, it tells you that you have 13 hours to solve the maze, and that's 13 hours in real time. There's a real-time game clock, and once you get past that uh, 13 hours, then you are basically done for. It mentions uh, some of the film locations, like the Bog of Eternal Stench, uh, and lets you know that that the uh, uh, game is going to be based on the movie. Uh, It tells you that the object of the game is to get to the heart of the maze. Uh, It explains how to load the game. This is another manual that says it has three sets of instructions, one for uh, Commodore 64, one for Commodore 128, and one for the Apple II, which were the two uh, U.S. computers that this game was released for. There are three save game slots when you boot this game up. On the Commodore, you access them through, I believe it's F1, F3, and F5, and if you hit Shift... F1, F3, or F5, it erases that slot and starts that as a new save game slot. The game saves your spot automatically every time you go to a new area. Uh, so that that is definitely helpful because chances are you may die <laughs> quite a bit while exploring the labyrinth. Uh, then the game explains the word wheels, which is the interface that you use to control the game. We will talk more about the word wheels momentarily. There's a list of hints included. They're all so generic that it's, you know, it's, it says things like, um, if you find something that's taking a long time, move on to something else that takes less time. Okay. Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Jareth. I think we pretty much got that, you know? Uh, and, and it's all hints like that. It's, it's like hints from Yoda. <laughs> it's really unusable information. Uh, and then, uh, At the end, there's a little disclaimer after the warranty information and the copyright information that says, warning, any attempt to duplicate this product may damage it, and such damage is not covered by the warranty. Please see above for complete warranty information. So I thought that was interesting that they just throw that out there, that by copying or attempting to copy this game, you might damage it, and that is not covered under the warranty. So pirates beware. (laughs) Uh, so after you load up the game, hopefully you haven't damaged it by trying to make a backup copy yet. Uh, you come up to a title screen again, you get the logo labyrinth. Uh, and then underneath that, you just get, uh, it says uh, trademark and copyright Henson associations incorporated all rights reserved used under authorization. 
uh, and then you move right into the game. Uh, so let's talk about the controls, uh, and this is going to be hmm, slightly out of order uh, because the controls kind of talk about uh, hmm, the graphical part of the game, which is not where the game starts. Let's talk about where the game starts first. Uh, the game starts off as a text adventure. It fires up. It asks you for your name, uh, your sex, and your favorite color. And you will appear in the game later. Uh, it will address you by name. The shirt will be whatever color you picked. Uh, and you can either play as a boy or a girl. Uh, so when the game opens, it is like a text adventure, except for you can't type. <laughs> you have to use what are called or referred to as word wheels. Now there are, um, I've seen those referred to as slot machine input, uh, a few different, uh, uh terms, but that the manual refers to them as word wheels. Uh, so that's what we'll call them. There's no sound in this part of the game. It is very similar to a text adventure. And what you have to do is basically get inside a movie theater and get the movie to start. So there are Different things you can walk around. If you walk around uh, the movie theater, you'll run into a beggar. You can run into some different things, and you go inside the theater. There's a popcorn stand. You're going to want to purchase the popcorn, and then you run into some people uh, inside the theater. And this is all timed. Uh, you'll start getting prompted that the movie's about to start, so you, you really need to hurry uh, to get into this. But again, you don't type. You use what they call word wheels. So there are two wheels uh, and really, I don't know why they call them wheels. It, they're really scrolling lists down at the bottom of the game. The ones on the left-hand side are full of verbs. The one on the right-hand side is full of nouns. So if you want to, for example, you're outside, you want to go north, you have to access the left-hand wheel and scroll down to go, and then go to the right one and select north, and then hit enter, and then that's, instead of typing go north, you select them out of a list. It is not uh, as intuitive. I mean, it, it's it seems very limiting. I mean, because if you look at the verbs in most situations, there may be less than a dozen. So it's not that difficult to just go through the entire list. And I know what they were trying to do. They're trying to lower uh, that, uh, uh, you know, lower the bar. Anybody who's played an old text adventure has got to a point where you know what you're supposed to do, but you spend all your time trying to guess the verb. You know, uh, do I give quarter to person? Do I hand quarter? Do I drop quarter? Do I, you know, whatever it is that you're, you're supposed to do. And so you know in your head what you want to do. You want to give a quarter to this person. Uh, how many times have you ever said, you know, open door? Oh, the door's locked. Use key. Use key on what? On door. What about on door? Use key on door. You, you know, you can't do that. Insert key or anyone answer, you know, just on and on and on where, you know, in your head, you're like, I want to open the GD door <laughs> with a key, but you, you have this um, interface that's not understanding what you're trying to do. So in this game, there is no uh, mistaking what you're supposed to do because you pick the words right out of a list. So you scroll the left-hand side, you scroll the right-hand side, and that's how you uh, interact with, uh, especially the, the first part, this is the only way to interact. You can jump down in the word list by typing the first letter. So if you uh, open up the left one and press G, it goes right to go. Uh, there's there's uh, 
uh, you know, O for open, the, the different verbs. So you can jump around the list by just pressing the first letter. So that part uh, makes it a little bit uh, easier to use. Sometimes the, the nouns on the right-hand side will default back to the last one you used with that verb. So if you open door, then uh, the next time you hit open, the door will be selected on the right-hand side. And also some of the verbs don't require a noun. Uh, like look, you can look, uh, at the wall, you could look at the door or whatever, or you could just hit look and it will give you, you know, a basic description of, uh, whatever area that you're standing in. So eventually what happens once you've moved into the movie theater, the movie starts, uh, and the game shifts, the text part goes away and it's like you're watching a movie and Jareth appears and you get some of that same text that appears on the back of the box. He says, hello, we've been watching you. And then it says, yes, you. And then whatever name you put in, mine says, yes, you flack. Uh, and so eventually you all of a sudden appear inside the movie and it's a uh, Douglas Adams described it as a Wizard of Oz type moment, you know, where the Wizard of Oz is black and white and, sh- and Dorothy opens the door and steps out into Oz in its color. And so it's that kind of thing where you are playing a text adventure and suddenly you are pulled into a graphical adventure. So it, it's it's very entertaining to watch and it's very exciting to see the game shift. However, David Fox, the lead programmer, didn't like it in retrospect because there were a lot of people that lost interest at that first part because they got frustrated. They thought it was just, they thought the whole game was a text adventure and they didn't, they didn't play it long enough to get to the graphical adventure part. So he, uh, in retrospect wishes that they hadn't done that, but it, it is a, uh, interesting technique used, uh, in a game. So then you move to the graphical adventure, which is really the game. Uh, you will find all or a lot of the locations that appear in the movie, appear in the game. You have the maze, multiple mazes. You have the brick, the never ending hallway, the brick hallway. There are, um, there's a stone maze. There's a hedge maze. There's a forest. You'll meet, uh, Alf and Ralph, the two guys that, uh, one always tells the truth. One always lies. You will, uh, encounter the wall of hands. You'll end up in a oubliette eventually, which is where Jareth puts people to forget about him. Uh, you'll find the wise man garden. That was the old man with the bird that sat on top of his head. Uh, the door knockers, the upside down room, just all these different locations that appear in the movie you will run into in the game. So uh, I'll jump back real quick to the controls. The joystick moves you in all four directions. Mostly you move left and right, but you do move uh, up and down when you encounter ladders or doorways uh, that you go through. On the Commodore 64 version, you use the joystick for your controls, uh, I mean, for moving around inside the game, and then you can use the keyboard for your uh, uh, scroll wheels down there at the bottom, the word wheels. On the Apple II version, you don't have to have a joystick. You can actually control uh, your character with the keyboard and then use the keyboard also for uh, those word wheels. But with the, the Commodore, it does say joystick required. Uh, so, and then down, even in the graphical part, you have those word wheels down there and that's how you interact with, uh, things. So by the time you get in the labyrinth, for example, you have a quarter. One of the first things you'll run into is a vending machine. And then, you know, when you go to the machine, you use the word wheels, you select use quarter, insert quarter, something like that. And you put the quarter in, uh, and then take, 
uh, and you get whatever is uh, whatever comes out of the vending machine. So it's uh, you'll you'll be using the joystick and the keyboard throughout the entire game. The word wheels work okay. They're pretty limiting, like I said, because there's only so many choices, uh, and you can tell that this predates Maniac Mansion. Now, with Maniac Mansion, as most people know, if you're into retro-type games, uh, LucasArts developed what was called the SCUM engine, which stands for the Script Creation Utility for Maniac Mansion. This allowed them to not have to redesign the engine every time they wanted to make another one of these types of games. So, you know, all their graphical adventures for a long time used the SCUM engine. If you've ever played with the SCUM emulator, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, But this game predates that. It doesn't run using SCUM. It runs using its own engine. And so you can see it's almost a beta version of a scum type game. There are things in it that work interface wise and things that don't work quite so well with the, uh, the word wheels. So once you get into the game, as I said, the goal is to reach uh, Jareth at his castle and defeat him within 13 uh, real time hours. I have watched a playthrough of this game on YouTube and uh, the person uh, who played all the way through again, I have links to this, uh, beat the game in about 25 minutes. I find that amazing, <laughs> uh, simply because I played this game for years and didn't get anywhere near as far, uh, as I, towards the end, uh, that I thought that I was, I probably wasn't even halfway through the game. So, uh, I like to talk about the score uh, and how the game scores you according to the manual, but there is no score in this game. You either beat the game or you do not beat the game. You don't get points uh, for doing things along the way. So uh, I checked uh, retrocomputerscene.com, but of course there is no high score listed for this game. I thought maybe there would be um, a time listed, but uh, the game doesn't tell you how quickly you won the game either. So it's really just about you and the game and, and if you can beat it or not. Uh, but um, there's no no score and no time that's given to you at the end if you beat the game. Uh, and like I said, you can beat this game in about 25 minutes. Uh, good luck doing that. <laughs> I, I highly recommend you don't try that and just head over to uh, the YouTube link I provided and watch somebody else do that. Under the trivia section, this is uh, things I didn't know as a kid, but it is uh, listed on Wikipedia, and I think there's reference to it on Moe Games. Uh, Douglas Adams, who you may know from uh, his very popular series of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, books, he worked with Infocom on the uh, text adventure version of a game based on his books. Uh, And so he was consulted by uh, Lucasfilm, what they did was they sent uh, David Fox, the programmer, to London for a week with a brainstorming session that consisted of him, uh, someone else from Activision, and then you had Douglas Adams, and you also had Christopher Surf. Now, Christopher Surf is a um, another genius jack of all trades. Uh, he's well a well-known author. He's also a very prolific musician and on Wikipedia it says that he has contributed more than 200 songs to Sesame Street. And I believe that he was a friend of well he would have had to have been a friend of Jim Henson's uh and so that's probably where the the connection 
uh, came in to get him on board. So they had a computer type person uh, or someone who had computer gaming experience with Douglas Adams and a great sense of humor to boot. And then plus they had this guy that was, uh, you know, experienced, uh, had experience with writing and music uh, and all that kind of stuff. So what uh, David Fox has said is that uh, they went, they met with these guys for a week and uh, they came out with, just dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of different ideas, lots of little things like, oh, you should have the game do this. You should have it do that. Um, they actually got to see a early version of the film before it was released so that they knew what all the locations would look like. And so David Fox says, according to the uh, Wikipedia article, that when he got back, he had hundreds of pages of notes, but nothing specific about the game. And so what he was tasked with doing at that point was coming up with a game and using some of those ideas. And so it was Douglas Adams' idea to have the text adventure at the beginning that then, uh, you know, basically pulls the player into the graphical adventure. So in the game, I you know, I think it works if you know what's coming. And so if you look at the back of the box... And you see the screenshots as a kid, I would have been like, well, where's that part of the game? You know, and it doesn't take you that long uh, to get to that part. If you know where you're going, it, you know, it only takes like uh, two minutes or something. But as a kid, you know, if you were like me, a dirty little pirate who just downloaded this game and, you know, I was like, well, where's the fun part? Like, why am I stuck in this text adventure thing when I want to, you know, be running around the halls talking to Hoggle and fighting the Goblin King. So it's a uh, a little bit, I don't know. Uh, if you didn't know what was going on, uh, I think it would be a little bit uh, confusing or maybe even disappointing. But I, I love those little tricks like that. You know, the one that always comes to mind to me was uh, uh, the Three Stooges on the Amiga uh, and the Commodore 64 too, uh, where you boot up the Three Stooges and there's a, a countdown and it breaks into Defender of the Crown and you're like, what? What just happened? Like, did it? And it only goes long enough for you to, to second guess yourself. Did I just boot the wrong game? Did I? And right then the Three Stooges walk out and, you know, they say, oh, you know, this looks like a kid's game. That sort of thing. And then it goes into the Three Stooges and you know that you've been had. And that's a funny thing. So it's kind of like those um, maybe those Saturday Night Live skits or uh, Monty Python skits where you're like, I got the joke and now it's going on too long. There are lots of Saturday Night Live skits like that where you get the joke in 30 seconds and the skit runs for five minutes. And uh, you just want to tell those people it quit being funny a long time ago. And that's kind of how I feel about the introduction to this game. The text adventure thing comes up and you have to go and, you know, it's, it's past being funny. You're like, okay, I guess I really do have to do all these things before I can start the game. So it kind of, I think it would have been better if you started off as a text adventure and then five moves into it or something, you encounter Jareth and he sucked you in. Uh, it kind of would have been, uh, probably would have got people into the game more quickly. Let's talk a little bit about the reviews that I found. First of all, Commodore user uh, reviewed this game in 1987 and they gave it a five out of five. Uh, Happy Computer reviewed it in December of 86. They gave it 84, uh, so a, a regular B out of 100. Then there's the infamous Zap review. They broke the curve. <laughs> Zap gave this game in March of 87 50% rating, which is an F. I 
putting this game in the context of what was out in late 86, early 87, this game is pretty good in that context, you know, in that time frame. It's a pretty good game. Uh, but their complaint, they have two complaints. One was that it's too slow because of all the loading. Uh, and they're right on that. This game has a lot of uh, loading time. It has a lot, of, you know, when you go from scene to scene, it can load for, you know, 45 seconds, you know, 30, 45 a minute. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of loading on this game. Uh, and their other complaint was that as an adventure game, it was too easy. I'm going to tell you right now, I can't imagine anybody describing this game as being too easy. Uh, this game uh, just confounded me as a kid, and I felt like I was going in circles over and over and over, falling in traps, going to the oubliette, getting lost in the maze, falling in a trap, going to the oubliette, you know, and just, uh, and, and I eventually gave up, you know. So the fact that maybe if you're a reviewer for a magazine and you play lots of adventure games, then maybe it was an easy game. Uh, as a kid in uh, 1986, when this came out, so I would have been 13 years old. It was not an easy game for me, I can tell you that. Uh, the ports, let's talk about what different systems this appeared on. Obviously, it was on the Commodore, and it was also on the Apple II. Those two things are mentioned uh, in the manual. There were two Japanese releases as well. It was released for the MSX and also for the PC-88, uh, two Japanese computers. Uh, the PC-88 version looks terrible, just like every screenshot of every PC-88 game that I see. I'm sorry if you're a PC-88 lover. You shouldn't be. You should be a Color 64 fan if you're listening to this. Uh, and uh, and in, I embrace my Apple friends. I embrace my Atari friends. Uh, but the... PC-88 people can take a hike. <laughs> oh, wow. The show gets nasty on episode 23. Just kidding, PC-88 people. I, I listen to your podcasts all the time. <laughs> Just kidding. Nobody does a PC-88 podcast. Uh, and then <laughs> on Moby Games, they have screenshots for the MSX version, and it looks fantastic. It looks like the best version. I've never uh, messed around with the MSX emulator before, but there are pictures at the beginning of like, um, like color scrolls, uh, like a sunset or whatever. And it looks fantastic. So MSX people, you're welcome to hang out here anytime. You can help me kick all the PC-88 people's asses. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, there's also a Labyrinth game released for the Nintendo Entertainment System by Altus in 1987, which is unrelated to this game. It is not a port of this game. Uh, it is a top-down, from what I saw, gauntlet kind of looking game, uh, but it is uh, definitely unrelated to this uh, gauntlet-unlike uh, game, <laughs> Labyrinth, the computer game. How to play this game today? Well, I think you're going to need uh, either a retro computer or a retro computer emulator because I don't believe that this version has been remade. Uh, it's not ported to Flash. It's not on Steam. It's not on uh, iOS or Android or anything else like that. So uh, if you do want to play it, go to SpriteCastle.com. Go look at the download section. I have a link to download this game, and I have a link to download uh, some emulators if you don't already have one set up. So if you want to play Labyrinth, although, I don't, like I said, I don't want to spoil it, but I think what I would personally do is just go to YouTube and watch uh, that other guy <laughs> play the game. Now let's get into my personal memories of Labyrinth. All right, time travelers, seatbelts fastened, yes, get away to the past. 
Memories. I can't remember if I saw Labyrinth in the theater or not, but I know that it aired on television on uh, HBO not too long afterwards. Uh, I, maybe we even rented it and, and copied it that way. I don't know. But I know that we had uh, a copy of Labyrinth and The Dark Crystal both on VHS. I watched them over and over and over. My buddy Jeff, who I have talked about many times on this podcast, he and I love this movie. Um, there's so many quotable lines from this movie. There are lines. This is a sign of a quotable movie to me. This movie came out in 86. There are so many lines from this movie uh, that I still use today. Uh, the uh, Sarah, the 16-year-old girl, keeps complaining that things aren't fair. And at some point, David Bowie tells her, you say that so often, I wonder what your basis of comparison is. I have said that to my children <laughs> not that long ago when they complain about things not being fair. Uh, you know, there, there's all these uh, just multiple jokes throughout the movie uh, that I have still, uh, if if you've ever walked into a uh, restroom that has been used recently by someone else. I've said this uh, last year. We took, uh, I remember specifically took my kids to the zoo. We walk into the pachyderm building and immediately I say, smells bad. <laughs> As I quote Ludo, uh, from, uh, uh, this movie. So, uh, there are lots of things in this movie. I mean, I watched this so many times as a kid. I, I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say I watched it once a week for a long time. Um, the soundtrack contains, uh, not only music from the movie, but five songs that were recorded by David Bowie. Um, there's underground, Magic Dance, which is probably the most famous one. Uh, the Chili Dance, which is the song that the uh, Fireys sing, the guys that their heads and arms and legs come off, and they appear in the game uh, as the world falls down and then within you. Uh, and those refrains from some of those songs do appear in the game. The game doesn't feature nearly enough music for me. I wish that they had done versions of all of those songs and put those in because I was a big fan One of my biggest pet peeves is when you buy a soundtrack and the version on the soundtrack is not the version that appears in the film. And so all the David Bowie songs sound different on the actual soundtrack, which I have an original for somewhere. Uh, I bought it years ago, but uh, the versions that are on there are not the same versions that appear in the movie. So um, eventually I just ripped all the, the songs in the movie out and, and have MP3s of those. So that's what I listened to. I remember getting this game. I downloaded it. I did not buy it as a kid. I got stuck at the text adventure part. And, uh, you know, we had uh, walkthroughs that you could find on BBSs and things like that. And so a lot of the walkthroughs uh, that were out there would just be a mini walkthrough to get you to the graphical part of the game. It would say, go here, go here, you know, buy the popcorn, you know, pick up the nickel, you know, all these sorts of things that you have to do before you get uh, the game actually started. And uh, so I remember that part being really hard. But then when you get to the graphical part, it's even harder. I mean, it's easier in a way because it's simpler to navigate with a joystick and walk around. But 
just getting anywhere in the game is pretty difficult, you know. And, and um, so it was fun to see the movie locations in the game, the same types of uh, characters in the same places or whatever. But I just wish it had been a little bit easier to get further in the game because I know as a kid I did not get uh, very far in this game. For graphics, I give Labyrinth 4 out of 5 oubliettes. The characters look like uh, they do in the movie. The locations are well translated. Uh, even Jareth uh, looks really good on the uh, screenshots and later on when you actually meet him. So graphics, no complaints there. For music, I give this game 2 out of 5 oubliettes. Man, that sounds low. I might even go 3 out of 5 oubliettes. I don't know. Uh, the music is really good, but it is so sparse. You will hear a little bit of music uh, at the beginning, and it'll play a song when you beat the game, and I think that's it. So uh, this game is really lacking in the music department. So my low rating doesn't reflect the music that is in the game. It reflects the fact that there's not enough of it. For sound effects, I give it 3 out of 5 oubliettes. It's not, again, that the sound effects are bad. It's that they sound so stark when there's no music or anything else. So as you're walking around, you hear your footsteps clip-clopping around, but without the music, it just doesn't really doesn't really work very well. Overall, gameplay for this game, I give it 3 out of 5 oubliettes. The word wheels uh, are a little bit clunky. Uh, the, the joystick controls do work well. Um, it's sometimes difficult, even with a limited amount of verbs announced, to know what you're supposed to do at any given time. Uh, so overall, I would say it is an interesting game. Uh, I like it because of its connection to Labyrinth, the movie. I don't know that I love Labyrinth, the game. And I've recommended this already in the show. But if you are curious about this game, you want to find out what it's uh, all about and what it looks like, I recommend going and viewing the uh, video walkthrough on YouTube, which I will have a link uh, for in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. The next game I will be covering is 1985's Karate Champ by Data East. If you'd like to play Karate Champ before the next show is released, head on over to SpriteCastle.com and click on the downloads link at the top of the page where you can download Commodore 64 emulators and all the games that have been reviewed on the show. If you'd like to send me feedback about this or any other episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodork, Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SpriteCastle or leave me a voicemail on the Flat Podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. SpriteCastle is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the SpriteCastle.com RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flat, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all of these shows at robohair.com forward slash podcasts. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. For links to these and more websites, check out the links on the right-hand side of SpriteCastle.com. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to reminding me of the babe, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. <laughs>